0: Well, good morning. As you know, our students this weekend have been participating in Disciple Now. And I want you to know Disciple Now holds a very special place in my heart. It was at the very first Disciple Now that I ever went to when I was a junior in high school that the Lord called me into full time vocational ministry. And I still remember the theme of that weekend it was the race is on and somewhere either at home or here around this church I have that curriculum from that first disciple now that I ever participated in and and our students this weekend have been talking about becoming imitators of God and I pray that just as the Lord spoke to me at that first disciple now that I ever went to students that the Lord has spoken to you in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 2 where our students got their theme verse for this weekend it says this therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Every single one of us in this room have been called to be imitators of God, haven't we? every single one of us. This isn't something that just our students are to do. This is something that every single one of us in this room have been called to, as we just read here in Ephesians chapter 5. You may ask yourself, well, how do I imitate God? How do I become an imitator of God? you know how you become an imitator of God? You take God's word, you study God's word, and you apply God's word to your life. That's why I'm so excited about our reading plan. Bill's already alluded to this, that we're starting up this Wednesday. My prayer and challenge for every single one of us in this room is that all of us will participate in this particular reading plan. As we've shared over the past couple of weeks, this is a little bit different from any reading plan that you possibly have done in the past. We're going to read through the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once, and this will be a chronological reading, kind of we'll read as the events within God's Word was were, were, were uh, actually occurred. And so as we do that, we also want you to be aware that every single Monday is a catch-up day. Well, you may be saying right now, as you begin this program, man, that's kind of lazy, isn't it? That we're not going to commit to read God's Word seven days a week. Um, And I'm not going to say that at all. What I want you to know is that most people stop a reading plan after just a couple of weeks because they get behind and they get frustrated and they just kind of give up. So I want you to know every Monday is a catch-up day. Well, you may say, well, what happens if I get behind a week or two weeks or three weeks? Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do if you get behind by that number of days. Start reading at the day that everybody else is at. Because it's better for you to read God's Word than become frustrated and discard God's Word and say, well, I'll start reading God's Word at the next, the next time we do a reading plan. Don't do that. Take God's Word, study God's Word, and let's use God's Word to help us become imitators of his. The Bible says in Hebrews 4:12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This word right here is living and active. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may become complete, equipped for every good work. You want to know how we become imitators of God? We take God's Word, we read it, and we do what God's Word says. That's what God's Word does. It equips us so that we can be about every good work that He has called us to do. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to, uh, to, to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to pick up this morning where we left off last week. We we're in the middle of, of walking through the Sermon on the Mount together. And I'm excited about the verses that we're going to look at this morning. But Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verses Um, Verse 38, we're going to read verses 38 through 42 together this morning. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38, and we'll read through verse 42. This is what it says. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek... Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You know, in this passage of Scripture this morning, some of the most recognized passages within the entire Sermon on the Mount... Are located. So we got a lot to unpack this morning, and I'm excited about diving into God's Word with you. Um, keeping with our Disciple Now theme, our message point this morning is this. Kingdom citizens imitate God. Kingdom citizens imitate God. Notice point number one this morning. It's this. What the law taught. What the law taught. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Within our focal passage this morning, Jesus begins quoting from the Old Testament, as he has done over the past several weeks as we walk through this section of Scripture. Jesus quotes from Exodus chapter 21, Leviticus chapter 24, and Deuteronomy 19, and these verses refer to the ancient law code called lex talionis, or the law of retaliation, um, the law states if a crime is committed, then the punishment should equal the crime. You know, the reason God gave man this law is because there was a day when people actually took the law into their own hands, and they determined the punishment based upon what was done against them. For example, in Genesis chapter 4, we read this story of of Lamech, and it says this, Genesis chapter 4, verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. You know, Lamech was a savage man. He took the law into his own hand, and because somebody wounded him, he turned around and killed them. How many of you know people with just pure venom in, 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 in within them? Man, they are just some of the most vile, evil people on the planet. Do you know anybody that seeks to go above and beyond what the law requires in order to um, inflict womb or what the law allows? Do you know anybody like that? Have you ever met someone with that kind of hatred? You know, kind of you scratch my car and I'm going to get my monster truck and I'm going to run over your car. You know, that just seems fair to me. Well, that's kind of how the law was. um, People took the law into their own hands before the law of retaliation was actually put into place. One commentator says this, Harsh and demanding as such a principle appears to enlighten people of our day. It should be remembered that it was a tremendously significant advance above and beyond the primitive thinking of the untrained people who first heard it. The law of the jungle was far different. If you kill my child, I will kill all your children, your wife, your brothers, and your whole generation. If you knock out my tooth or my eye, I'm going to knock out all of your teeth— I'm going to pluck out both of your eyes, and then I'm going to kill you. I mean, basically, that was the law of the land before the law of retaliation was put into place. Harsh, yes, but it was certainly an improvement for sure. Before God's law was established, retribution and revenge was carried out by the individual. But once the civil law was established, essentially a judge and jury had to do the convicting before the punishment could be levied and put into place. You know, every single day, you and I live in a world where people like to take the law into their own hands, don't they? They think that they can better govern than our government um, does. You know, I did not think that our nation could become even, any more divided than it was before last weekend. But this weekend, I stand corrected. Here's what I know. I know this. The source of our salvation is not who resides at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. The source of our salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. God's Word says this in in Psalm 27. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, we put our hope and faith in Jesus. We don't put our faith and hope in in, in just this world system. We put our hope and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice our second point this morning. Our second point is this, what Jesus taught. Jesus said this, but I say to you. As we have read and studied throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' standard always goes above and beyond what the law prescribed. For example, the law is here. This is kind of the benchmark for the law. What did Jesus do? Jesus said, here is the law. But I am telling you this, Jesus always said, you know, the law is here, but what I am going to prescribe is here. A lot of people like to believe that Jesus's law or his teaching actually was about more tolerance in the world. So they say that, that God's standard, the law standard was here, but Jesus actually came and lowered those standards. I want you to know right now, Jesus did not lower anything. Jesus, in fact, next week we're going to look at this. Jesus called every single one of us to a life of perfection. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So God's standard is here, and then what Jesus says is, here's what I am telling you now. And so keep that in mind, that, that, that we serve a Savior who has established for us a a benchmark for living that calls us to imitate God the Father. Within the next few verses, we will see Jesus give us that new standard for living. Jesus taught that you and I should not seek, number one, we should not seek revenge. We should not seek vengeance. Jesus said, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not push back when somebody pushes you. I don't know about you, but if somebody pushes me, my natural reaction is to push back, right? Probably most of us in this room, that is our natural reaction. When someone pushes us, we're going to naturally push them right back. But that's, Jesus is saying that when someone that is evil comes to you, don't, don't fight back. Don't push back. Be an example of God's love and God's mercy. I want you to know before we dig into these next few verses, Jesus is not talking to the nation of Israel here. He is not telling the nation of Israel that they are not to defend themselves. What Jesus is doing is he is talking to his disciples and telling them as you do life with everyday people, this is how you should respond. Okay, so keep that in mind as we walk through these passages of scriptures today. We are not to resist the one who is evil. What we are to do is to respond as Jesus Christ would respond. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ in his final hours here on planet Earth before he went to the cross and died on that cross for our sins. Think about the amount of punishment that was f- inflicted upon him because he was the Son of God. Did Jesus push back? No. Did, did, did Jesus call down the angels from above to, to, to remove him from the cross or to remove him from the infliction that he was receiving? No. What did Jesus do? Jesus carried his own cross up to Calvary's hill. He, he was placed Hands outstretched, feet downward on a wooden tree. And his hands and his knee and his, his feet were nailed to that cross. Those Roman soldiers took that cross and they picked up that cross. And that cross um, shot down into that ground. And when that happened, all of Jesus' weight. And from that moment on, as Jesus hung upon that cross, he fought for every breath that he took. Up until he took that final breath. At any time, Jesus could have pushed back. Jesus is the author and perfecter of life. He was the one that gave breath to every single person that hit him and spit upon him and inflicted him with the, kind of, the amount of pain that he, that he received. At any time, he could have done that. But Jesus didn't do that. Why? Because he knew that the only hope for those that were nailing him to that cross that day was himself and his blood as they have an opportunity to be, for once and for all to be reconciled to God the Father. Jesus could have resisted those that ultimately killed him, but he did not because he knew that he was the only source of their salvation. You and I can resist those that try to harm us Or we can point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we walk through these next few things, realize that we can respond out of anger and rage and hit back. Or we can respond with love. So notice the next thing here. Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. In verse 39, Jesus said, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Let me tell you once again what this passage of Scripture is not saying. It is not saying that you and I are not to defend ourselves. This passage of Scripture is not saying that you and I need to be the doormats of the world. Okay? Okay? It's not saying that at all. We are never called to be the world's doormats. What we are called to be is salt and light in this dark, tasteless world. I remember whenever I was, um, I think I was a junior or a senior, I went to FCA camp. And the camp pastor actually preached a message from this particular passage of Scripture. And I'll never forget that illustration. Some 30 years later, I still remember um, most of the details of this. I'm probably going to get a few of these details wrong. Um, But I remember the camp pastor sharing this story about this big, burly athlete that had become a Christ follower. And he shared this story about how when he trusted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, his life was radically different. He began to read the Bible daily. He joined study groups, any opportunity that, that he had. He hid God's Word in his heart. And, and any time he had the opportunity to share his, his faith with someone else, he shared his faith. I mean, it's just a great story that, that he shared and great story of a life that was transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he went on to share the story about how this athlete was out with a couple of buddies of his one day And as they were out and about, there was someone that tried to pick a fight with this athlete. And so, you know, the athlete wasn't going to have anything to do with that. He was going to respond in love. But for some reason, this guy just hauled off and hit this athlete. Man, just punched him. And that athlete took that punch and, and the guy was trying to get him to fight back with him. And the athlete said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get in a fight with you. And so that guy realizing he wasn't going to get hit back actually hit that athlete again. Well, the next time that he was hit, that athlete reared back and hauled off and knocked that guy to the ground and knocked him out. And one of his buddies turns to him and says, doesn't God's word say that you're to turn the other cheek? And he said, I did turn the other cheek, but it doesn't say what to do after that. (laughs) And so, I want you to know this. This passage of scripture is not talking about you and I being punched by our enemy. In biblical times... It would have been less insulting to be punched by your enemy than to be slapped across your right cheek. Among Jews, nothing would be more demeaning than that. And the picture is this, that there's a person right here, and they're facing you. And you would take your hand, and you would rear back, and you would slap them across that that right cheek. And receiving a blow like that would be humiliating. John MacArthur in his commentary says this. He said, "...to strike someone elsewhere on the body might cause more physical harm, but a slap in the face was an attack on one's honor and was considered to be incredibly humiliating. It was to be treated with disdain as being less than a human. Even a slave would rather have been struck across the back with a whip than be slapped in the face by their master's hand." Turning the other cheek, literally and figuratively, is not an easy thing to do. But but being imitators of God, that is what we are called to do. When somebody tries to belittle us and um, strike us across our face, Scripture says that we're to turn the other cheek and demonstrate love in that moment. Notice next we see here, give more Than what's demanded, in verse forty, if anyone sues you would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. A tunic was an undergarment, very much like a shirt, and a cloak would be equivalent to a coat that we would wear today. But it would also double as a blanket that a person would use at night. It may be hard for you and I to realize this um, because most of us, when we go to our closets and open up that door, we've got probably dozens of shirts. ...that are lined up in our closets. In first century, most men only owned one shirt. And if they were really well off, they might own two shirts. But they certainly would only own one coat. The Old Testament scripture teaches that if a person used their coat as collateral against a loan... ...that coat was to be returned every night at sundown. So that person could could use that coat to stay warm at night... That shows us how valuable this outer garment was. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus says this. What he is teaching is that if you are sued and the, 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 the fine levied against you is your shirt, what does Jesus say? Hey, give them your coat as well. Man, that is some radical teaching because A, that person only owned one or two shirts and they certainly owned only one coat. Why would Jesus tell them literally to give the coat and the shirt off their back to to make amends with their enemy? What Jesus is saying here is make sure there is no ill will between you and your adversary. We are to demonstrate the love of God, which always leads us to go above and beyond what the law prescribed. Notice the the next thing here. We're called to go the extra mile. In verse 41, Jesus said, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. In um, in in, In the first century, the Romans had a law that gave the Roman soldier the authority to force civilians to carry their packs for a Roman mile. Okay, imagine this. Those packs were not light. They would be incredibly heavy, incredibly cumbersome. They would have everything that they owned in in those backpacks. And a Roman, at any time, as he was walking down the road, if he saw a Jew, he could could, um, require that Jew to carry his backpack for one mile. Let me give you a couple of examples of how a, a Jewish man could have responded to that Roman soldier. Example number one is this A Roman soldier is marching along the road. While you're out working in your field, you are down on your hands and knees. And you're pulling up weeds. You're, you're, you're remo- removing rocks and sometimes big old boulders to get your field ready for harvest. And all of a sudden, this Roman soldier comes walking down the road. Man, you're hot. You're sweaty, you're angry because you've been working out in the field all day long. And all of a sudden, this Roman soldier says, hey, you worthless Jew, get over here and fulfill your duty to roam and carry my back the required mile. If that happened to you, what would you do? Well, let me tell you what you would do. You would do it because it was the law, but you certainly would not be happy as you did it. Um, a Roman mile was about a thousand, or it was a thousand steps. It was not 999 steps. It was not a thousand and one steps. It was 1,000 steps. And so I can just imagine if I lived in the first century and this happened to me, I would probably um, be a few feet. Behind that Roman soldier, and as I was walking my 1,000 steps, I would probably be saying a few things underneath my breath. I'd probably be counting the steps, one, you worthless scumbag, two, you worthless whatever. I mean, I'd be making all kinds of things up as I walked along that road, counting out those 1,000 steps. And at the conclusion of those steps... I would drop that pack, I would say a few choice words at that man, and I would go home. Let me ask you a question. How do you think that Roman soldier, how do you think he felt about your God, the way that you treated him as you carried that pack for one mile? Well, you may say, well, look what he did to me. Well, that's not the point of this story. Imagine example number two. What Jesus teaches is even more radical than what the law stated. Jesus said, don't go just one mile, but go two miles. I can imagine as Jesus was seated seated there on, on that sermon mount and the disciples were all gathered at his feet. I can just imagine Peter saying, when he heard go not just one mile, but two miles, I could hear Peter under his breath saying, are you serious, Jesus? I mean, that's probably how we would respond if we were told that we were mandated not just to go one mile, but to go two miles. Imagine what would happen if you carried that soldier's pack, knowing that that soldier was in desperate need of God the Father. As you go, you begin to have a conversation with that soldier. And you realize that that soldier and you have many things in common. Both of you are married. Both of you have two children. Both of you are dreamers. You dream of a better world. You dream of a very better society for both of your, your peoples. And, and that Roman soldier, man, he has a dream that one day he's going to build the, the largest coliseum to date in the city of Rome. So this man's a dreamer just like you're a dreamer. And you began to walk along with him. And, and you strike up a conversation with him. And, and you have a very fruitful conversation. And before you know it, you've gone your required mile. And that Roman soldier turns to you and says, hey, thanks for, for carrying my pack for me. And you respond to him, hey, I'm not just going to carry your pack for one mile today. I'm going to carry it for two miles. And as you begin walking down the road that second mile with this Roman soldier, you begin striking a conversation up about God the Father. You ask him, do you know who created the heavens and the earth? Man, do you know who created that mountain over there? Do you know who's responsible for creating the Sea of Galilee that's just right down over here? Do you know who is the author of life? Do you know who gave you your breath of life? And do you know who's going to take that breath away from you one day? And you begin to ask this man about his relationship with God. And at the conclusion of that second mile, the Roman soldier will not prevent you, allow you to go any further. And so he turns to you and he tells you, I've never met a man like you before. Thank you for all that you have done for me today. And you turn and you walk toward home and that Roman soldier walks away. How do you think that Roman soldier viewed your God? In that instance, folks, every single day we are inconvenienced in this world, aren't we? We're inconvenienced by our boss, we're inconvenienced by our employees, we're inconvenienced by our teachers and our coaches, and even our families and our parents. Young people, I know your parents inconvenience you, and I apologize on behalf of all the parents in the room for inconveniencing you, but life happens. Inconveniences occur every single day. You and I can complain about those inconveniences. We can kick and scream about those inconveniences. We can try our best to get out of those inconveniences. Or we can represent the Lord Jesus Christ well. Because we realize that we don't work for man, but we work for God. Scripture says in in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said this, Whatever you do... Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ Jesus. Every single day, whether we're at work or at play or at home, we represent Christ and we serve Christ. So there's two ways that we can respond when someone forces us to do above and beyond that which is required of us. We can respond in love or we can respond in hate. How are you going to respond? Notice our final sub-point this morning. It's this, be generous, be generous. Jesus said in verse 42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Friends, you and I, we own nothing. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, if we've entered into a relationship with him, God's Word makes it clear that this is not our home. Our home is going to be eternally with Him in heaven. We are just temporary residents here on earth. And the Lord Jesus Christ gives us three things to steward. Other things, but three things that I want us to look at just briefly. He gives us time, He gives us talent, and He gives us treasures. First of all, He gives us time. How do you use your time? To advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you waste your time? Do you spend your time on just um, frivolous things? Or do you invest your time? Invest it in your family. Invest it in your church. And invest it in the places that God allows you to do life throughout the week. Every single one of us in this room have 168 hours a week to spend one way or another. How do you invest your time? Talents. Every single one of us in this room have talents, and we have gifts. How do we use those gifts to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? You and I were created and gifted, not for just corporate America, okay? It's important to understand here, we were not gifted for just corporate America. We were also gifted to use those gifts within our homes as well as in the church. So use your talents well. And the final thing is treasures. Our bank accounts are not his. Our cars are not his. Our our homes are, 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 are not ours. They're his. Sorry. They're all his. Sorry. We own nothing. Okay? It all belongs to God the Father. All belongs to God the Father. Your bank account, your home, your car. Every resource that he has given you is his. Let's steward that which God has given us for the sake of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ across the street and around the world. Give to the Lord what is the Lord's and use that which you have left over, not for yourself, but for the sake of the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A Christian, As Christians, we no longer belong to this world we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Imitators of Christ live upside-down lives. We live our lives out according to God's Word. We live different. We serve different. We steward differently for the sake of Christ. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in all of God's Word is Acts seventeen six. It says this, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. You know what imitators of Christ does? We turn the world upside down. We, we take what the world considers to be normal, and we reveal to them what God considers to be normal. Let's be imitators of God. Let's live radically different lives in every aspect of our lives so that we can be about advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's love different. Let's serve different. Let's give different. And let's be different um, from what this world determines as the norm and live our lives for Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. If you're here this morning, you do not know where you would spend eternity if you were to die today. I want to invite you to respond to Jesus Christ and surrender your life to him. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all of sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in this room, there was a moment when our sin condemned us to hell. But if we're believers in this room, then we ask Jesus to forgive us of those sins. And we made a commitment that we were going to live our lives for Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning. You've never done that. If you were to die today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, without Jesus, we're condemned to hell. But it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ provided us a free gift. And that gift is eternal life if we respond to him. To respond to Jesus, we must confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe with our heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have an everlasting life. God loved each and every one of us so much that he sent his son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross for our sins, to be victorious over death and victorious over life so you and I can enter into a relationship with him. So if you're here this morning you do not know Jesus as your Savior, let me encourage you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Repent of your sins and cry out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You may be here this morning. The Lord's leading you to become a part of this faith family. And we invite you to come. If The Lord's leading you. I'll be here at the front and would love to share with you how you can become a member of Friendship Baptist Church. You may be here this morning. You may need to just come and kneel at this altar. I don't know what the Lord is calling you to do. But let's stand together. I'm going to pray. And if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for this this morning. Father, for the opportunity just to be in your house to worship you. Father, we pray now, Lord Jesus that if there's someone in this room that does not have a relationship with you, that this morning they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make, and that is to repent of their sins and to cry out to you to be their Lord and Savior. Father, if there's someone here, draw them under salvation today. Father God, I also pray, Lord Jesus, if you're leading some of our visitors that have been visiting this church for a while to be a part of this faith family, Lord, we pray that they will come and make Friendship Baptist Church their church home. Lord Jesus, just move during this invitation in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you need to come this morning to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you got questions, you come. If you need to come this morning to join this church, you come as well. You come. You come.